Good morning, good morning again, Faithway. It's a beautiful day to worship. If you have joined us online, welcome, welcome again. You know, just let us know in the chat where you are tuning in from. You know, tell us. I know we have Mr. Turner in the house today, but Mr. Turner's always like in Idaho or somewhere up Oregon, Washington, and he always says Oregon, Washington, tuning in. So if that's you guys this morning, let's do that and let us know where you're tuning in from. And, you know, if you have a prayer request, just send it in the chat or in the welcome phone number that's up there and someone will get with you in that prayer of agreement. So we do have a couple of announcements this morning. We have our last ticket fundraiser that is going on, our fundraiser for the carpet. Um, if this is new to you, we are replacing all this carpet here. It has been through a lot. It's been through a lot of VBSs. Lots of kids have been up here, have thrown up on it too, so it's time for a change. Amen? Amen. So we can go ahead and um, up, build up the house of the Lord. So this is our last fundraiser. So if you guys would like to get involved with this, plant a seed somehow, there is definitely a way for you to do this. You can um, donate monetary financially. We can uh, get with you in the, the welcome center in the way in, way in the back, back there before you leave and we can let you know exactly what is noted what is needed um, if you want to donate the ingredients yourself or if you would want to contribute twenty dollars ten dollars five dollars anything helps guys and most importantly the big thing that we need is tickets to be sold so if you're not serving anywhere in any of our teams this is a wonderful and awesome opportunity for you pick up a pack of tickets sell them, buy them, whatever you want to do, but just try to contribute somehow because this is our church and it has certainly blessed us with so many things here. How many of you guys are blessed to be in the building this morning? Amen. Amen. So you can get with someone in the Welcome Center on your way out, grab a pack of tickets or two or three or four, however many you want to do, and um, help us sell the tickets. It is for a loaded brisket baked potato. So these are huge. They're not tiny. They are huge. So you will get a little surprise along with your baked potato. So you'll find out whenever you show, to, show up to pick yours up. So it's going to be April 30th at the Family Dollar parking lot. Um, also, we have another opportunity for any of the ministries that are here. We haven't uh, had an answer yet, and the fireworks stand is waiting for a response from us, but there is an opportunity for a fundraiser here. Youth usually does an exceptional job with this, and they go above and be on, and they end up making, selling out. I think that's exactly what they do. They sell out of everything completely, so for uh, Independence Day, um, there is an opportunity for someone to run the fireworks stand. So if this is you, if this is something that you feel you can handle, you can manage a team of people, you can schedule people in, um, you can get with Miss Betty. She knows all the ins and outs of it. She's in direct contact and communication with the fireworks stand owners. Um, this is a wonderful opportunity, guys. So take advantage of this so that we won't lose it. So if this is something that you want to join in, in on, please get with Miss Betty. So, um, kids, at this time, you guys are dismissed. Youth, you guys will be getting together today at 5.30 p.m. over here in the youth building. Bring your friends, bring your cousins, get people out of the house. And we are in separate classes today. Jam Club, preschoolers, you are here in the hallway foyer. And older kids, super kids, seven and up, you guys are outside in the super kids building. So let's go ahead and open up our hearts and let's get ready to receive the word. And let's get ready to live life in a new way, the faith way.
Once the kids left, that's half the church, all right? <laughs> we just make them stay. So that's an opportunity for all, all the adults to fill up all the other seats, right? Next, invite, bring, encourage. You know, sometimes you say, well, I already invited so-and-so. But, you know, we're in a different season. And people, more than ever, I think they need to understand what God's about. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, Got to be louder than that. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get right into it this morning. We welcome everyone. Welcome our online community. Um, last time I checked a few minutes ago, there's 18 people in online church. Give them a big welcome. Come on. So they know that you're, they are there. They're not just behind there. We love you guys. We know you're there. And this is the, the modern church, right? We've got a whole other campus online. And praise God. So with an online campus and our existing campus, that makes four locations. Glory to God. Amen. So we're growing, and growth is good, and we are really, really excited what's going on. So I want to start a new series um, this morning. It's going to be probably a three-part series. You know, I say that, then it turns into three-month series because God just keeps adding. But I want to address something that I think most of you would be interested in, because I, and I'm going to give you a little bit of my, my experience and my perspective to it. But the idea of, of what, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to be spiritual? You know, because what, what, you know, we hear that, right? We are here because we're spiritual. We're, we're here this morning because we're seeking spiritual truths. We're not here for any other reason, you know. This is not a, you know, quinceañera. This is not a wedding. We're here to seek God, a God that we can't see, but we know he's real. Those songs um, just brought it home, you know, a lot of the, the lyrics about his faithfulness. I was thinking, I was started weeping right there because I was thinking, God has been so faithful to our family, amen? And I get emotional just to think of all these years and um that he's been with us and got us through tough times. And my wife and my granddaughter are alive today because of his faithfulness. Glory to God. I'm probably alive today because, you know, we've been, not, not because of health, but because of other issues, you know, that he's so faithful, you know. So, so we are spiritual beings, you know, we are seeking spiritual truths. But then you get around Christianism or Christianity, not Christianity, Christianisms, it really are isms, about what it is to be spiritual, and I want to give you a little bit of my experience of why this is, you know, this is such a personal and important topic to me. You know, I grew up in, in central Mexico, as most of you know, and my parents, from second grade to eighth grade, they, they put me in an American Christian school, and, and big emphasis on Christian, because it was Christian school. It was, every subject was taught with the word. Um, you know, so it was like going to church every day, and then if they had an activity on Saturday, well, you had to go to that, and then on church, you had to go on Sunday, so, you know, you were going to church almost every day of your life, it seemed like, but, um, so as a child, you grow up, you know, pursuing and seeing spiritual things, and I had, even as a kid, I had some experiences um, where I, I felt the presence of God, I didn't know how to define it, you know, when you're eight or nine years old, you don't know how to define that, but looking back, I understand it, but then you see people, right? And you would see even, again, I'm not criticizing anybody, I still remember some of the teachers that really made a huge influence in my life in a positive way, and I still remember the ones that made a huge influence in my life in the negative way. And you would hear things, you know, and, and you would see things, and they wouldn't line up, right? So like, okay, the Bible says this, but they're acting that way. And as a child, you know, kids, they're pretty smart. They pick up on stuff. Well, you grow up on that, you know, and, and the more you're aware of that, the more you see it. And if you're not careful, you can actually become very cynical 
and use it as an excuse, which a lot of people do, to not go to church. You know, how many have heard this, the reason I don't go to church that's full of hypocrites? I said, well, you go to Walmart, it's full of hypocrites too. <laughs> you go to the bank, you know, that, that greeter at Walmart, he's not, he doesn't care to see you. He's like, oh, I'm glad you're here. No, he doesn't. He just wants his paycheck, right? I mean, but, you know, we use excuses because the worst publicity that Christ has had has been Christians. Hay que calladitos están. All right. You know, and I pray to God that I have not been that, but I'm sure I have sometimes in my life, and we're going to deal with that, you know, having fits of carnality, and the flesh shows up. But, um, you know, what is spirituality? You know, what, what does the Bible say about being spiritual? Because we have a context. If you dress a certain way, if you talk a certain way, that makes you spiritual. Well, the Bible has a whole different thing to say about that, amen? But that's what we, that's what we perceive, you know? And as I was studying this, you know, we'll use familiar scriptures but, you know, it was a lot of soul-searching because I was starting to see, wow, you know, there's things in my life that I need to, to reach into. So I'm, this is for all of us, and I hope you get something out of it. So just a couple notes to introduce it. You know, biblical spirituality can, can be defined as a process of the divine restoration and healing of a broken relation between the triune God and humanity. And triune simply means, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we serve a triune being. So spirituality, you know, would be that, that would be the, basically, you know, the first thing. And then other one is also, it's our response to that. So in other words, my note up there just simply is, biblical spirituality is a response of a repentant human heart and the mind to the loving heart and mind of God. So when you break it down, like I said, we're going to take our time with this. We're not going to rush it. If you know, take us a couple of weeks, three weeks, but hopefully you'll come to all the services. Hopefully, if you're not available, you watch them online. But you'll begin to really understand what this means. So, we have God offers redemption, but then we have to have a response to it. Can you say Amen? You know, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. 100%. The fact is that a lot of people will because the only thing that keeps you out of hell. It's not your good works. It's not how you dress. It's not how you talk. The only thing that will keep you out of hell is acknowledging that there is a being out there that gave his life for you that we celebrated last Sunday. Amen. And then just invite him and bring him into your life, your imperfect, messed up life, which I'm not speaking for you, but I'll speak to my, for myself. That's the encounter I had with God, right? So it is, it is basically two folds here because you have the process of restoration and healing but there has to be the response on your side. And one of the things that, you know, religion has done such a damage, when I mean religion, I don't mean a religion, I mean a spirit, and, and Jesus addresses that spirit in the New Testament quite a bit. He addresses it quite a bit. I mean, in all his problems, I mean, when he gets, you know, <laughs> when he got upset, there, there's a little thought I'm going to say, I'm not going to say the name because, you know, I'm not going to say names to protect the guilty, but... You know, when, when President Trump made a comment right at the beginning of his um, presidency about MS-13, and you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, the gangs from Central America and so forth, and he said something into reference that, well, they're animals. And wow, you know, everybody got all upset. And there was a pastor's wife of a really well-known um, author, which I respect, by the way. I have no problem with them. They do a great work. And she wrote this big, big article on how 
uh, President Trump shouldn't have not used the word animal because we are all created in image and likeness. And I mean, and the truth was there, but in my, you know, and this is the problem when you don't know the Bible, and, and coming from a pastor's wife, you think she would know better. But my point was, Jesus called people snakes, dogs, whitewashed tombs. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend President Trump, but you know what I'm saying? Jesus used pretty severe language to define a spirit. And you know who he directed that to? He didn't direct it to the prostitutes. He didn't direct that to the tax collectors that were ripping off their own people. He didn't you know, direct that to the lepers. He didn't direct that to the thieves. He directed that to the church. He said, you guys are vipers. You guys are whitewashed tombs. You're white on the outside and you're rotted on the inside. And he was addressing that because their spirituality was primarily in their appearance. And they would act spiritual and they would walk spiritual and they, they thought they were so holy that they wouldn't even touch the people. And if you study the temple construction, especially around the first century, and what we know about it, that they even had a little, a little place where they could walk. Because, you know, if you've ever been to Mexico or you've been familiar with, you know, the market, the central, and everything in Mexico, you know, you got the church. Nowadays, of course, the Catholic church, and that's the center of the town. And even nowadays, you know, you go around, there's people selling stuff, and everything is circled around the churches. And it was the same, you know, in, in Israel. The church was, you know, the temple was the center of the community where business was done. You know, you'd meet everybody, and that's where everything went on. And because of their religion, they had to bathe every time somebody touched them that wasn't holy. So that instead of having to take 15 baths a day, they would try to avoid getting even brushed by somebody. So the people down here, and they built a little thing over the, over the temple, a little bridge where they could walk over and get to the other part of town where there wasn't all these masses of people so they didn't have to walk through the people because there was the danger of somebody brushing up on them. And that's what Jesus was addressing. And that's what really bothered the religious spirit because Jesus, what did he do? He went to the dirty, and they would call him out. I mean, they would call him out and say, your disciples didn't wash their hands. And Jesus said, really? What's more important, your outside wash or your inside wash, right? He would always bring this stuff up. And it seems like Jesus would wait for Saturday just to mess them up. You know, it seems like that all the disciples are hanging out on a, on a, on a Tuesday, you know, and they ask, hey, Jesus, what are we doing today? Ah, oh, nothing, boys, just take it easy. We'll wait till Saturday. Because Saturday, you're not supposed to do anything, according to Jewish custom. So he was coming against one after another of these religious traditions, because what he was trying to show us is what is real spirituality. So we're going to um, get right into it, and... First thing I want to address, you know, is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And I want to talk to you about self-awareness. You know, that is a very big. This is still the introduction. We're going to introduce this. Because this is, for this message to work in your life, this is the one message you don't get to elbow your husband or your wife. Not that you do. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, hey, Tablan? This message is specifically for John Turner this morning. All right, I'm not just kidding. It's good to see you, John. It's good to see you, John. So, you know, this is the one for you. It's not, oh, I'm glad he's preaching that because sister so-and-so really needs to hear that. No, no, no. This is mine. Say, this is mine. All right, so self-awareness is basically becoming aware of self. It's not very deep. I don't want to spend an hour. I mean, it's just, and you know, it is sad that we are very self-aware in the natural world. Well, most people are, right? 
I, I see some people go to the mall that I'm sure they're not self-aware of nothing. You know, they walk in like in their pajamas, you know, like, what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, stop there, Pastor. I was going to say something about wearing certain clothes, but no, I'm not going there. But, you know, self-awareness is making, you know, making sure that you are holding a mirror, you know, not a physical mirror, but a mirror, nonetheless, on your life, that you are able to try to see where you need some work. Amen? You know, that where you look at yourself and say, I need to fix this. And we're, that, that, that really is the scope of this, of this series. So if you are open to this, I'll tell you what, at the end of this series, you're going to grow. You will grow spiritually. You'll have a better understanding of what spirituality is because, like I said, religion has made a mess of what spirituality is. And we, and we call it all kinds of things. So let's look into this first scripture. First Timothy 4.16 says, Give careful attention to your spiritual life. Well, right there, we, I, I should just stop right there, put a period, deleted the rest of the scripture, right? Because, I mean... Paul is telling Timothy, and by the way, guess what Timothy was? A pastor. Mm-hmm. He was actually, you know, one of the pastors in, in history that was a, the pastor of the biggest church of the ones that Paul founded and ended up being the pastor, I believe, in the church of Ephesus. But he says, give careful attention to your spiritual life and every cherished truth you teach. Now, I could just use that scripture and preach to you for now because it's so, so rich. But I just want to introduce it because it is something the Bible tells you you must do. Look at your neighbor and say, now you must do this. If everybody tells it to everybody, then everybody's good. So he says, every cherished truth you teach. So he's saying, number one, I want you to pay attention to your spiritual life. Who? You pay attention to your spiritual life. Have you noticed it's really easy? Come on, don't look all holy this morning. But it's very easy to point out all the problems that somebody else has. Come on, just say amen. We are experts at pointing out what everybody else's problem is. Well, now it's the time that we start pointing out the man or the woman in the mirror. Because spiritual growth is not going to come to your life by trying to fix somebody else. I'm going to give you a tip that took me a lot, many, many, many years to learn. We can't change anybody. We can't even change ourselves. Mm-hmm. As you know, my old worn-out joke is I'm very committed to starting a diet every Monday. One <laughs> she looks at me like, yeah, whatever. No, you know, we can't even help ourselves. We want to have a better, we want to live healthier, we want to do things, you know. So what do you think gives you <laughs> the power or to change somebody else's life? And I think, you know, in marriages and, and close relationships, we need to understand this dynamic. And if you do understand that dynamic, then you'll have a lot of healthy conversations. But, you know, he says, number one, give attention to your spiritual life. And number two, you know, just kind of loose paraphrase, give attention to what you're hearing. Because church also becomes this thing where we go to church on Sunday. I, I posted a little video, you, I, um, on uh, just a little clip that I saw. Uh, I, was, I was on Brother Terry, Terry's page, Terry Mize, dear friend of mine. And, it, and it's this pastor, and it's just a little 15-second clip. It's powerful. And, and man, it got me. I mean, like, that's exactly what, you know, it's the, the way I feel. You know, what are we doing here this morning? You know, why are we here? Is this is it? Come to church on Sunday, listen to the preacher, blab for two hours, and go back, and nothing really happens, nothing really changes? No, it has to be more than that. Can I hear an amen? amen. There has to be a lot more than that. And if that's all we're ever going to do, you guys need another pastor, because I, I can't do that. Amen. You know, we have to have this idea that every time we come to church, we are here to grow. 
We are here to grow not only in our own spiritual life, we are here to grow in our influence. We are here to grow the covenant, the blessing aspect of the covenant. Those are the things that we're here to, you know, to make a difference somewhere. So he goes on to say, you know, he says, give careful attention to your spiritual life and every cherished truth you teach. And watch this one. You ready for this one? For living what you preach will release salvation. Now that word salvation is the word soteria from the Greek, which you can summarize that word not only into getting into heaven, it means wholeness. You could continue to summarize salvation to a definition that would say something like nothing missing, nothing broken. How about that? Imagine, what would your life be if nothing missing, nothing broken? Think about it. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So this is, like I said, this scripture is so rich because if you start breaking it down, I mean, it'll, like I say, you can preach this thing for an hour. It says, for living what you preach will release soteria or the power of nothing missing, nothing broken inside of you. And here comes a big one. And to all who listen to you. But the, but, the, but the context and the flow of it is focus on your spiritual life. Focus on what you're learning. Let it make a difference in you. And because you're permitting it to make a difference, people are going to be attracted to that. Are you still here? All right. Now, I want you to go to Matthew 12.33, or you'll see it up on the screens. And Jesus said it this way. You must determine if a tree is good or rotten. Now, this is Passion Translation, but all of them will say roughly the same thing. You can recognize good trees by their delicious fruit, but if you find rotten fruit, you can be certain that the tree is rotten, and the fruit defines the tree. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a tree expert, and if you show me an apple tree, and you show me an orange tree, and you show me any other kind of tree and you tell me what kind of tree it is, I'll just say it's a tree. But if it's harvest season, I instantly become an expert. Come on, somebody. If we're going down an orchard, and you say, what kind of tree is it? And it's got oranges. I say, oh, I know, that's an orange tree. Oh, that's an apple tree. That's a pecan tree. Are you with me? Because the fruit tells you what the tree is made of. Well, I mean... What's hanging off your branches? That's who you are. You can say you're a pear tree, but if you got mesquite beans hanging out <laughs> and a lot of thorns, you can say you're an apple tree, but those little red things aren't apples. They're tasajillo berries. Only South Texas people will get that. The tree is defined by its fruit. Pastor Box can tell you he's all it. He won't, because he's a good guy. But the only thing I can offer you to look at in my life is what fruit. That's it. You can judge me as much as you want. You can criticize me. But at the end of the day, the only thing you can really look at is what fruit are we producing. You can look at Faithway. And for all the people that don't like us and for the people that criticize us and the people that think what we're doing is dumb or whatever, it doesn't really matter to me because at the end of the day, are we producing fruit? And what is the fruit? Let's define that. Well, the fruit is to be a blessing. Simply as that. But it also defines who you are. You are known 
by the fruit you produce. Very simple statement, but very truth and very profound. Jesus went on to say that, we, that you will know them also by their words. You know, you hear somebody talk long enough, you're going to know what they're full of. No, no pun intended. I know some of you thought. You know, but somebody talks God and Jesus and glory and awesomeness and is always excited about God. You say, oh, yeah, he's full of God. You got the same person comes to church. Every time you rub them, there's all negativity and I'm sick and I'm tired and I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you say, well, boy, they both come to the same church. What's wrong with one person? What's the other one? Well, one person, what was the, what was the first scripture I told you? Is not permitting the truth to impact their life. One person just listens with their ears, goes in through this one, goes in through the other one, right? It, it, it doesn't have a time for the seed of the word to go into your spirit and germinate and actually make a difference. And that's what I'm talking about, self-awareness, because the book is, I mean, there's, a, you know... <laughs> I don't know if there's any other book in history that will make you so self-aware of yourself other than the Word of God if you really, if you really dig into it. So we're going to pursue this for the next couple weeks and try to define what, what Jesus was talking about. So the tree is recognized by the fruit. And I already said this is my little note here. And everything produces after its own kind. To get what you want, you have to plant the right seeds. Because seed always produces fruit after what? Its kind. Once again, we're kind of slowly entering into this teaching. So if you want apples, what kind of seed do you need to plant? Come on, this is not deep. Some of you are like, oh my God, let me think about that. Apple seed, right? So whatever the fruit that you desire in your life, there has to be a seed. If there's not a seed, there's not going to be a fruit. And the seed that we're talking about, it's not real seed. It's It's not even money seeds, even though that's still a spiritual principle. It's the seed of the word of God. So once you have that self-awareness moment that you say, you know what, I need to get this in order in my life. I need to fix the way I talk to people. I need to fix the way I act. Maybe I lie too much. Maybe I cheat too much. Maybe I'm as phony as a $3 bill. Whatever it is, that's self-awareness because nobody really knows that. But there's going to be a seed to help you resolve that. Do you agree with that statement? All right. Let's go to the next one. Now, Colossians 1.10 and we're gonna, now we're going to start digging in. You know, we're going to pass the introduction, point number one. Let's talk about spiritual development. So let's look at what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, we pray that you walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. You ready? Then. Everybody say then. Yes. Help me with this. Say, and only then. <laughs> so right off the top, he says, we pray that you would walk in the ways of True righteousness, which true righteousness, I'm not going to preach it, but it will, it's just simply your righteousness by faith based on God's grace. In other words, accept that you're imperfect. I know I said some break the news to some of you, but guess what? You're not perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you're not in the right church. Because there's no way you're going to have a perfect church when everybody in the room is imperfect. Amen? So true righteousness is understanding because of God's grace, I have made, righteousness is an old, word, old English word that simply means right standing with God. In other words, you and God are, are friends. You and God can talk to each other. Can I hear an amen? That's what righteousness means. But it wasn't based on anything you did. It was based everything on what he did. 
So that's pretty simple. Just accept grace. So that's true righteousness. And what does that cause? It causes, it, it causes you to please God in everything you do. Once you understand what true righteousness is, then you will become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And you know what? I don't know about you, but that to me would seem like a goal in my life. Imagine if you could experience God's fullness. Nobody, I mean, some people do preach on this, but it's just, that, that is huge because we're talking about it, basically who God is, everything that, he can, that he's capable of. And when you start thinking about what is, what is God capable of, think about he breathes galaxies. He created the universe. And I don't know if you get into all that. I, I enjoy all that stuff. Sometimes, you know, one of the beauties of living out at the ranch, you don't have city lights. And sometimes when I'm just having a bad moment or whatever, I just go up and look at the sky and say, oh, God, you're so big and amazing and awesome. And we're looking at stars that don't even exist anymore. They died, you know, hundreds of thousands of million light years ago, but their light's still reaching us. It's huge. That's, when, so when you say fullness of God, you're talking about that. You're talking about a God that creates universes. But at the same time, it's a God that can become so real to you that he'll, he'll meet you wherever you're at. Isn't that amazing? Come on, he deserves a hand clap. Give him praise this morning. <laughs> Glory to God. That blessed me. I just blessed myself. I think I'll give myself an offering after that. The rich experience of knowing God. So if there's no other reason for you to take this series and take it seriously... I would say, do it for that. So you can experience God at a different level. So you can experience, really, how magnificent he is. Now, I want you to go now, now we're going to start <laughs> digesting this a little bit, into 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 3, and my Bible on, on the introduction says, a call to spiritual maturity. A call to spiritual maturity. And Paul begins to write, and, of course, the Corinthian church, let me give you a 15-second history, was probably one of the most, I want to, I'm not going to say spiritual, but they moved heavily in the gifts of the spirit church. You know, speaking in tongues, prophesying. They were one, but at the same time, they were one of the most sinful churches. And, it was this, and that's really kind of my experience with Christianity, because I would hear how amazing God was, but then you would look at the people trying to apply it, and like, man, they're messed up, Right? And Paul is going to address what spiritual maturity is. So you're going to find out that being spiritual is not as spiritual as you think it is. Are you here? Let's just read it. It's all in here. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you think, and you believe, and I think, and I believe, oh, we're spiritually mature because we've been in church, you know. In my case, next year it'll be 30 years since I gave my life to Jesus. That's, that's a pretty good run, you know. And I could say, oh, I believe I'm spiritually mature, but spiritually, spiritual maturity doesn't come with how long you've been in church. So, so go ahead and get over that. Spiritual maturity goes on how much you apply what you're listening to. And I've seen spiritually mature people that have been running with God for two years that are way more spiritually mature than people that have been running with God for 25, 28, 26 years. I'm telling you. 
because I see how they process. Because what you're going to learn about spirituality, it's not as spiritual as you think. Remember that little phrase? He said, well, Pastor, that doesn't even make sense. Oh, yeah, it will. By the time we get done this morning, it'll make perfect sense. So he goes on to say, I, tr- you know, I can't give you, I can't talk to you as spiritually mature people. Now, remember, these people are moving in the Holy Ghost. They believe they're, they're spiritual because, you know, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're a charismatic church, but we're not as charismaniac church, all right? Just remember the difference. Because there's order in the things of the Holy Ghost. And I've seen all kinds of, I'm not even going to go there. People calling things Holy Ghost, it's not Holy Ghost, it was Holy Flesh. All right. Get back to the message, Pastor Box. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For you are still dominated... Pay attention to this because he's going to to tell you, Paul's about to tell every one of us in this room what it is to be spiritually mature. So he goes to say, let me just back up so we'll, we'll flow in context. I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people, for you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh and because you are immature infants in Christ. I had to nurse you and feed you with milk not with solid food, of more advanced teachings. Because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready to be fed solid food. You know, in our Christian walk, growing up is pretty much the same. You know, when somebody comes first time ever, doesn't know who Jesus is, they accept Jesus, we call them baby Christians. Because they are born again, but they're just born again. All of us went through that. Remember that? And just like a baby... As a pastor, tell me, I'm going to tell you the truth, guys, and most of you know know where I'm coming from. I love every one of you, and I'm there for every one of you. If you call me, I will pick up the phone. My cell phone is no secret. It's not. Whoever wants it has it. Because I, I, one thing I made my promise, I said I will not become untouchable to the people. I know some preachers that are completely untouchable. Now, that's their business. That's between them and God. I can't. Because a pastor has to be with a sheep, right? But here's where I'm, where, where I'm going with this. You know, what Paul is saying here, he says, I'm trying to give you meat. But a baby, just like any other, just like a baby, you know, we have one baby while she's moving into toddler really quick. We have another baby coming, another granddaughter, glory to God. You got to take care of them, right? You're not like, oh, here's your diaper, fix it. And the kid's like a week old, right? No, you got to feed it, you got to change it, it poops, it pukes. Amen? I think, God for Kathy's analogy about our carpet. That's the only thing I heard, Kathy, in the whole announcements. It's full of vomit. That's all I heard. I'm like, oh, Jesus, okay. It's good. It's all good. It's all good. But really, you know, when a baby vomits, it's, it's not bad. I mean, you just wipe it off, right? Whatever. When you change your diaper, it's okay. You know, it's got a little turd in there, whatever, you know. It's not, it's not a big deal. Come on, guys. Don't act. Oh, my gosh. But what happens if that baby's 18 years old? You can change the diaper, John. I'm not changing that thing. Yeah, car wash, I'm thinking. Just walk through there, man. Just walk through there. It's not fun. You, got, you guys got the, you guys like, you're just ruining my mind, Pastor Bob. Because that is really the analogy that Paul's trying to get across. He says, a baby needs, te- you know, needs, needs to be taken care of. He needs to be tended to. And as a pastor, I have way, 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 way more patience for those Christians. 
Not that I don't love everybody, but if I'm talking to somebody who's been around Jesus for 10 years, I'm going to talk way different, Diana, from somebody who just walked in the building that last week. Is that okay? Because that one needs a diaper change. That one needs, you know, to wipe off the spit off his mouth and love him and nurture him and take care of him. But the other one, are you kidding me? I ain't changing that thing. It's the same spiritually because sometimes, and the problem is that, that there's not a spiritual growth. So, so this series is really to encourage you to see where you're at on the growth scale of God. Has nothing to do with how long you've been in the church. Get that out of your system. When I teach leadership, and I've seen this, we do a lot of leadership meetings in different places and we've done, you know. And I remember this came from, you know, from motorcycle riding. And, and when I talk about motorcycle riding, I'm not talking about, you know, going down, up and down the road here in Heavenville. There was a buddy, buddy of mine, I used to know, had, had a bike here in Heavenville years ago, and, and he had a really nice bike. Was, you know, they just cruise up and down and said, hey, y'all want to go to Big Ben? I'm like, oh, no, no, that's a long way away. I do tour biking, right? My record is 740 miles in one day on a bike. Yeah, you can't feel your rear end after that. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> but where I'm going with this, and one of the things I really don't like to ride is large groups. Couple bikes, okay. But you get around, oh, let's all go. And I've been in those. You've been with me, H. We went, H and I went all the way to Arizona. And he just learned, so praise God. He, I brought him back alive. There you go. <laughs> that was a great trip, wasn't it? That was a good time. But wasn't it weird when, when you and I, we were fine, right? We crossed mountains, curves. I took him through something that used to be called the Devil's Highway because the FM on it was called 666, but they kept stealing the sign, so they changed it. And it's in Arizona, and it is 90 miles of hairpin curves, yes or no? I mean, you're, you're, you know, your foot pegs are scraping. Oh, yeah, an 11,000-foot elevation. And he had about a, maybe a year experience, or not even. Well, you did good. You survived. <laughs> My point of this whole analogy is, when you'd get with a group, it was really frustrating because a lot of people, they don't know what they're doing. And then you would stand at a, you know, at a cafe or a stop or something, and people going on, well, I got 25 years experience, and I'm thinking to myself, no, you know, you have one year experience 25 times. <laughs> because nothing in your writing shows that, you, that you, I mean, you're scary to ride with, dude. You're going to get somebody killed. I've, I've been with, with, with bike groups like that. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to be the last guy in the back, and I'll just fall back like a mile, y'all. I'll go pick up your remains, okay? I'm, that's brutal, but people just doing stupid things. Well, in church, you see the same thing. Oh, I've been 20 years in the church. You have one year experience 20 times. Because at some point, you decided to stop growing. Let, let me tell you right now, we're never going to stop growing. I don't care how much I've been a pastor. I'm never. This series, I've preached this, you know, after almost 30 years of ministry, You've pretty preached almost main subjects, but I've never approached it like this. This is, this is fresh off the oven, amen? And as I was digging into it, I was like, wow, this is really rich because I, you never stop growing. You never stop learning. So remember that. Just be, don't use that little, I've been in church forever because from my perspective, at the end of the day, I'm going to look at the fruit. And your fruit's going to tell me if you have 25 years with Jesus or you have one year with Jesus 25 times. Amen. All right. So, brother, you know, let's go to verse 2. I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with solid food, 
more advanced teachings because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready to be, to, to be fed solid food. Now watch what he brings up as an indicator that the church is immature. Watch what he brings up. For you are living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves. Can you ask yourself this? Remember self-awareness? Because Paul is calling it out. He says, this is my indicator. Because the fruit on your tree doesn't match what you say you are. So Paul is saying, my indicator or my indicators that you are not as spiritual as you think are the following. Is there jealousy among you? Don't answer that. Just a question. Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you are living your life centered on yourselves, dominated by the mind set of the flesh. <laughs> Boy, the last one is just like knocks me in the teeth and behaving like unbelievers. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, it's so ironic, it's funny. Because, you know, the church, you know, it seems like to me, I'm not going to say recently, but when I mean the church, remember, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking, I'm talking about the body of Christ on a global scale. Everybody that professes Christianity. It just seems like to me over the years, it just keeps getting, looking more and more like the world. We smell like the world, we act like the world, we party like the world, we drink like the world. Amen. I'm not saying that's going to send you to hell, but it seems like the world should be trying to look like us. Jesus said, we are not of this world. That was his word, we are not of this world. Again, you know, remember last week's message? No condemnation, so don't get any condemnation over this message. I'm just trying to get you to grow up. Come on, let's just break the ice. Look at your name and say, you really need to grow up. Just go ahead and tell them. Smile. You can tell your pastor. You've got to say, pastor, you really need to grow up. I'm fine with it. I do. I do really need to grow up. You are living your lives, let's just summarize it, dominated by a mindset on the flesh. Well, the, one of the words flesh that most of us with our Hispanic, Latin, or Mexican backgrounds, however you want to call it, we understand what carne is, right? And the word of the Bible uses carnal. He's talking about a dominated life that everything is reactive to your natural circumstances. Everything. In other words, you have a spiritual life where you go to church, you love Jesus, you sing the songs, you clap, you take the notes, and all that's fine. But as soon as you walk out of the building, it seems like that spirit life stays in the building and the carnal life kicks in before you even get in the car. Amen. And that's what Paul is addressing because this church, like I said, they were moving heavily in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time they had all kinds of immorality and sexual sin and all kinds of craziness. And he's addressing that. He says, like, come on, guys, you can't be, you know, a Holy Ghost church and act like the world. Are you still here? So just out of this whole teaching, I mean, out of this scripture, what I want you to do, is don't, we're not going to break down the jealousy. We'll get to that later. What I want you to understand is who dominates your mind. That's what we're trying to do because remember I said a statement, being spiritual is not as spiritual as you think. Because being spiritual 
will be manifested completely in the natural. All these things that Paul brings up are things that are completely flesh-related. So in other words, if I, if I am done with jealousy, if I'm done comparing myself with others, if I don't fight like a bunch of little kids and take up sides, then I'm spiritual. Then I can digest meat. Are you with me? I can get better word now. I don't have to sit there and listen to you know, baby messages. I can get adult messages that will help me grow because, you know, as a baby, it's fine to feed them milk for their first year or so, or first few months, but at some point, they're going to need other kind of nutrition to develop properly. And spiritually speaking, it's exactly the same thing. It's okay when you come to church and you don't know who Paul is and you don't know who Peter is and you don't know a bunch of stuff, but, but as you're growing, you begin to understand and you begin to absorb and you begin to absorb. Guess what? You're going from milk to filet mignon. I'm going to make you all so hungry before we're done. All right, let's keep going. Let's go now to Galatians chapter 5. Y'all still tracking with me this morning? Say amen if you're getting something out of it. Okay, half the church is getting it, Lord. The other are over there getting fussy, showing your carnality. No, I'm just kidding. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. There's a lot of reading here, and it's all, it's all on the screens, but it's some passion translation. So Paul's going to address... What is carnal versus what is spiritual? Let's see what he's got to say now. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom. But don't view, the, don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Constantly, constantly love each other and be committed to serve one another. For the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself, but if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts. Oh, Paul called people beasts too. Okay, just mentioned that. Trying to destroy one another. Verse 16. By the way, that's where it says the Holy Spirit, our victory. That's just the, the, the notes within the Bible. Let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Everybody say self-life. That's a life that we all carried till we made Jesus Lord of our lives. Now, we might still carry it after we made Jesus, but the point of this thing is we're trying to be like him. We're trying to modify our behavior, modify our language, and hopefully, you know, I don't know what your experience was, but, and it took me a while because when I came from my background and, you know, living 14 years of riotous, you know, living in all kinds of levels, and in, in the line of field that I worked, still worked, but, you know, I was, you know, construction inspector and dealing with contractors and big, 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 huge projects and all that. You know, you learn a lot of profanity. You have to make up, I mean, we would even make up profanity words, right? I mean, sometimes, and most of you, I know you guys look hyper spiritual. I'm talking to the men. But, you know, when you smash your hand with that hammer, Holy Ghost doesn't quite fit, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Now, yeah, right. That, it's like, Beep, 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 beep. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So he's talking about kind of that. You know, he's saying, are we carnal or are we spiritual? Because spiritual, I'm going to say this till you get it. Because being spiritual is not as spiritual as you think. Being spiritual is how you dominate the flesh. Being spiritual is do you control your flesh? Do you control self? Or is self out of control? 
For the law can be summarized. Oh, I already read that one. Let me, let me go to verse 15. No, no, come back, come back. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, and I like that one, minor issues. You know one of the biggest problems with any church organization, this one included, and I'm so proud of this church, by the way. I'm so proud of our leadership. I'm so proud of everybody that runs the church because you know what? You know what happened in the last few years? They grew up. Say, man, come on, you know, you did grow up. Because before it was like, oh, she said, he told me, he said, you know, but one day they grew up, and they got, you, know what, you know what the growing up was? They got the vision. They realized it wasn't about them. It was about a grander purpose. And now this church runs like a fine, oiled machine. Give yourselves a hand clap for that. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm so proud of you all. I'm telling you, you guys make Monica's life and mine so much easier than it used to be. But you know, it wasn't like that. And that's okay. Because we know we, we need to learn to navigate these things. But once a, a leader understands what spiritual maturity is, it affects the whole church in a very positive way. Because they, they, they got to put on, you know, their big boy pants on or their big girl pants on and say, okay, I'm not going to be offended over this anymore. Because the calling is greater than the offense. Can I hear an amen? So that's what he's addressing. Is if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you are acting like wild beasts. You guys think I'm rough? Imagine if Paul was your pastor. Woo, Jesus. I never called y'all beasts. I've thought about it, but I've never said it. You know, I never, I never just said y'all a bunch of beasts. Let me emphasize this. As you yield, everybody say yield. It's not, a, you don't have to do it. The Holy Spirit will never force himself into your life and make you do anything. Everybody knows what a yield sign is, right? I mean, most people in Laredo don't, but. Well, in Mexico, by the way, a stop sign means yield. If you drive in Mexico, don't stop, they'll run into you. Stop sign in Mexico literally means, not literally, it means stop also, but nobody does it. You just look and keep going, you know? That's just the way it is. You, st you do a full stop in Mexico, you're going to get rear-ended, I'm telling you. But, you know, a yield is what? You are moving, but you pause to take a look. Because if you don't pause, you don't have to stop. But if you don't pause, you might get hit. Amen? Yield to the ramp, you guys. Yield to the exit. Well, he's saying, yield to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's here to help you. He's not here to control you. He's here to protect you. He's here to help you make good decisions. But as long as our self-life controls it, the Holy Spirit just sits there as a quiet spectator and keeps his little mouth shut because you don't give him a chance to speak. So, he, you know, Paul is emphasizing this. You've got to yield. You've got to make a pause and look to where the Holy Spirit is pointing. Where is the Holy Spirit pointing the situation to? I'm telling you, as a pastor you got to depend on this so much. When people come to you and they want spiritual guidance, they want some form of counsel, you know, they want some direction, sometimes, you know, you don't have a chance to go, oh, hang on, let me go to my ministerial's handbook and see what it says. You don't do that. You yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. I'm doing that this morning. I'm yielding. I yielded before I ever showed up. My prayer that I always pray for you guys, Lord, let me be a blessing to the people. I yield to what you have to say. And, and I think that's one of the things that Christians have to understand. We have to learn how to yield to the Holy Ghost. He never stops talking. Well, how come I can't hear him? Because you're not listening. The voice of your flesh is louder than the voice of the Holy Ghost. And then he finishes by saying, and power, well, not finishes, we're going to keep reading, of the Holy Spirit, what happens? Then you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. 
And cravings doesn't just mean I want another piece of pie or, you know, I got to go get drunk. There's a craving to get even. There's a craving to not forgive. You don't know what they did to me. I'm never going to forgive. That's a craving. That's a desire of my flesh not to forgive you. But you know what Jesus said? You better forgive. So you're yielding to those truths. You're yielding to the truths that the Holy Spirit has already planted in your heart. You're not just saying, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do different. That's religion. So we come to church, we put on our little religious, you know, demeanor. But then, like I said previously, as soon as we walk out, we just leave it in the church. And then you wonder why things in your life aren't tracking. And, that, and as a pastor, I see that. You say, okay, one person seems like they're walking in the blessing and they're moving and things are, you know, they're rocking it. Same person hearing the same messages and their life, it just doesn't seem to get started. So as a pastor, I can only make one conclusion is somebody's listening and the other isn't. And not just listening to hear, listening to apply. In other words, one built their house on the rock, as Jesus would have said it, and the other one built it on the sand. All right, let's go to the next one. So verse 17 says, when your self-life craves, that's things <laughs> that offend the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to have to find out what offends the Holy Spirit. You hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh or the carnal one and the new creation life of the spirit. So now you have a conflict. I, wanna, I, wanna, I wasn't going to share it. I think the Holy Spirit's okay for me to share it. I want to I give you guys a little glimpse to, to my last few months before I finally gave my life to Jesus. So in 1992, I was a complete train, complete train wreck. And my wife had given me the ultimatum, basically, I'm out of here if you don't get your stuff together. And I knew the only way I could get help was God. I knew that from a child. I knew that that was the only place. She had been a Christian for many years. My mom, of course, and all of our family, a lot of praying people for me. So I started trying to get my stuff together January of 1992. And I had a Holy Ghost experience in January in Mexico. I believe I, you know, I, I repented of my lifestyle. And, and I went to this Pentecostal church, and they prayed for me, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to do any of that. And I came back to America, but guess what? My, this, this is going to help somebody. My spirit was renewed, but guess what wasn't renewed? My flesh. So for the next nine months, it was my most miserable existence of ever, because guess what? On Sundays, I'd be in church. And the church that I attended to, again, I'm sure the pastor had some wisdom that I probably don't have yet or God hasn't shown me, because he would let me play guitar knowing that I was all messed up. Now, I wasn't messed up on Sunday. You know, I wasn't high on Sunday. Come on, cut me some slack, all right? I I'm probably was completely hungover, but I wasn't, you know, Sunday was sacred. But from Monday to Saturday, it was all, all the time. That's my life. I'm just being honest with you, you know? For those of you that are always judging me, now you know my story. So as I was pursuing God, it was really strange because... I'd get up on the platform, and the whole time I was, pro, you know, playing my guitar for Jesus, I felt, I keep saying, you feel like a dog, but I keep thinking about my dogs. My dogs are, they live in glory, you know, my dogs don't feel anything, they just eat and sleep all day, you know. So I don't know what I felt, but I felt miserable, I felt like a piece of trash, dirty inside, outside, I'm like, this is so ridiculous, I felt like the biggest hypocrite, 
It wasn't enough to change my lifestyle. Are you still with me? I want to help somebody with this because, you know, if your pastor's not real, then who is? I mean, we want, I'm telling you, I came through some of these. I, I don't preach just out of a book. I don't preach out of a Bible study. I don't preach out of going to Bible school. I preach out of my experiences of how God helped me. So I become on this, this path of trying to figure this thing out, and I'm going to summarize it because I don't want to take up all, you know, we're, we're, the clock is running out on me. But, you know, it was this, this really weird thing. So I'd be on this stage. I felt, oh, so miserable. And then I would say, oh, you know, then I'd go out with my friends, and I was sort of playing with a blues band, and we, I never really gigged with them, but, you know, we're kind of practicing. But all these guys were stoners, and I don't have to give you, but some of the, some of the stuff that I did was, 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 it looked like it was out of a Cheech and Chong movie. If you don't know what that is, don't Google it, for God's sake. <laughs> this is true. I mean, if, if I had a video back then, no, we went, I know, forget cell phones. We didn't have none of that stuff. And I remember, it's, it's almost like a movie, you know, and I was with these guys, and I, I can't even tell you the tame, the main guy's name was Tom, and he, you know, he, was, he played guitar, and he had, you know, he was good. And, and we were all there, and we were all, you know, drinking and smoking. And I remember when I was in that state, I would talk about God. And they didn't like that. Guess what? I didn't like that. And I remember one time I said, you know, Tom, I said, I'm going to a church. And he's smoking a joint. And they're just looking at me and says, yeah. And I said, you know what? I go to this church. They speak in tongues. And he's like, this is literally what happened. He's like, you better not go there. It's of the devil. When all the smoke comes out. I mean, that is so pathetic. Here's a guy telling me that tongues are of the devil while we're smoking weed. <laughs> I tell you, only Cheech and Chong movies have that kind of stuff. That was my life, and I was miserable with them, and I was miserable on the stage, and it felt like it was ripping my in interior away. And, I, and the day I got delivered, my conversation with God was the day that it happened in September of 1992 when he just zapped me was because I understood, not because he was holding out. And I said, God, this is a prayer. This was my true prayer. I said, I was so miserable that day. We had gone to Laredo to church, and I had gotten kind of an argument with my wife. And, you know, she stayed with the pastors. I came back to, to the house in Miranda City, and I was supposed to go back to the evening service. And I was by myself. I was in the house, and they had they'd give me this little book by Brother Copeland. said, so the decision is yours. And I read the book, and I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to make a decision. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I'm willing to change. I make a decision. And I said, either you get all the drugs out now or get the Holy Ghost out. I don't know if that's biblical, but that was my prayer. Because I told her, I can't live this way. I'm not happy with you. I'm not happy in the world. And I figured if I'm just going to go in the world, I'll just end up die, dead or in prison because that's at the level we were running. And I fell asleep 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, I woke up. I didn't know nothing. I didn't see the light. I saw a light. Nothing. I just felt different. Just different. Went to church that night. Walked in late, so I wasn't able to get on the band. And Monica was sitting there in the second row. I still remember this as if it was yesterday. And she looked at me like, well, you're finally here. You know how they, they do. <laughs> they don't have to say nothing. They don't have to say nothing. You know that. They just, that eye roll. <laughs> the look. And the worship started. First time in my life ever. Because I grew up Baptist. Baptist, we don't raise our hands. I mean, not like some, my, my brand of Baptist didn't. And I was sitting there, and I, and I was thinking about what I was feeling inside. I felt clean. 
I didn't feel like a hypocrite. And I didn't, I didn't fabricate it. Because in the Pentecostal church, everybody dances, everybody raises their hands, everybody claps. But when it got to the worship part, I was sitting there, you know. If you go to Pentecostal church, you got to learn. Come on, how many know, right? By the way, I was telling Monica, this church needs clapping lessons. It sounds like you guys are doing tortillas. I mean, can't y'all just clap on the same beat for God's sake? Doesn't it bother you? You're like, like, what's going on? When we got to the worship, I didn't fabricate this. I went like this. First time ever, I raised my hands to God. And I was clean, and I was delivered, and I was set free. That's my story. I mean, there's some other stuff I could add a lot to the story. But that, that conflict. In church, I wasn't comfortable. In the world, I wasn't comfortable. And something had to give. And in my ignorance, I prayed that prayer. And I thank God God honored his side, and I honored my side. Because I told him, if you deliver me, I will serve you the rest of my life. I didn't, that serve didn't mean preacher. I figured I'd play my little guitar on stage and be a good little Christian. That was as far as I, my mind was. I would have been fine with that. And if I was doing that still today, I'd still be fine with that. But that's my story. And God honored it. Now, if I would have gone back, yeah, I would have gone back if I, didn't, if I didn't do my part right. I mean, that's how it works. But I went, just like I was in the world, I went, went to God. Within a month, I was, and I didn't do it to become a minister. I just needed, I didn't need to do something. I was unemployed, so I, uh, my dad lent me money. We were broke, and he gave me money to start a correspondence, you know, Nowadays, they call it online. Back then, it was correspondence. It's actually books and, you know, tests and paper. And, and I started um, my Bible studies with a Berean Bible Institute. But, and I wasn't looking to be a preacher. I, I, you know, I already knew most of the stuff I was doing because I've been in church my whole life. But the fact that I knew that if I didn't do that, I would gravitate back to that. Are you still here? Now, and I'm talking to baby, infant Dumb and innocent steps, but I, I was self-aware that if I didn't fill myself with God, I was going to end up filling myself back with the junk that I was involved in. That was my self-awareness. And that was really how this whole thing started. And, and this, is what, you know, this is what Paul was addressing here. So let, let me, I know it took a long time to take you there, but somebody needed to hear that. Maybe here or online. I'm telling you, God's grace is amazing. God is not looking to put you down. He's looking to set you up and put you on a higher plane. Amen. So, in verse 18, well, let's go back to, let's go back to 17. When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free. And that's exactly where I was. I mean, I just gave you a whole description in my personal life of that. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. And that's exactly what I just told you. So please don't you ever feel like you're not spiritual. The fact that you're seeking God makes you spiritual. Can I hear an amen? You know, if you still got issues, if you still got flesh issues, if you still got addictions, uh, we're not here to judge you. We're not here to put you down. We're not here to sink your, your less than anything. We're here to help you. Because guess what? Yours truly went through that. And yes, there were people that judged me. I, and uh, Yeah, especially in the church, right? <laughs> Some people, you know, I, I sure the, I'm sure the pastor took a lot of a flack for me. You know, he never said anything, but most people knew who I was. You don't know, you don't know all, the, all the religious people say, how, do you, how, how in the world do you have him 
on, on the, because, you know, I, I really didn't care. I'd play the guitar and after service, you know how people go out, I would sit in my car and smoke a cigarette and everybody was watching me. You know, it was like, whatever. So you know there was the religious people telling the pastor, the guitar player is smoking in the parking lot. But I thank God for that pastor. He's in heaven today because he saw something. He saw something. And permitted me, because that connection with the, with the guitar and that stage helped me stay with God. You know, we, we Christians, we mess up a lot of other people because we get on this little self-righteous thing. No, 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 we're not better than anybody. Amen? That's night we had a little birthday party in, at Faithway Laredo for one of our leaders, and, and we went there, and it was great. It was wonderful. And this homeless guy walked in. And he, and he, and he, and he looked the part, trust me. He was all messed up. You know, he wasn't messed up high or nothing, but he walked in, he sat down in the back. He thought, I guess he thought it was a church service. And, you know, Everybody kind of looked, but, you know, I went up to him. I said, how you doing, brother? He said, I'm doing good. His name's William. So what's your name? William. And I told Marcus, go get him some food. We sat him down. He ate. Gave him water, a Coke. I invited him for today. Hopefully he'll be there today. Because you know what? The only difference between him and me is God's grace. That's it. That was me. Did somebody look beyond my drags and somebody look beyond how I smelt? Somebody look beyond that if I was drunk or high and said, God loves you. See that? Yeah, you know, that's, that's who we are. We don't like, oh my God, what is he doing here? And he just, you know, no, no. He sat there. We fed him. We treated him just like he was part of the party. Now, I had to leave a little early, so I don't know what happened after I left. But I know our church, and everybody has that same love. You guys have that same love. I knew if somebody walked in right now, most of you would reach out to that person because you understand it. Amen? Amen. And that's really, you know, that, that, that's what Paul was saying. So now he gets into this little thing that King James Bible says it a little different, but, it, but this is, remember, this is a modern translation. King James is a very old translation. But I want to read it out of the Passion. So he comes with this, verse 19, and he breaks down, what is self-life? What is self, what does it mean to live in the flesh? What are you permitting? So he, go, he gives us a list. Paul gives us a list. He says, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions. I love that one. <laughs> I like that one. I, I, I didn't know that was wrong. I'm in love with my own opinions, right? Being envious of the blessing of others. And then it goes on to say murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all this other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the king, the realm of God? Now, let me back up a little bit because this is, in King James, it words a little different. I kind of like the King James Version. But the nutshell of this thing was, as Christians, we will read that and you will say, thank God I'm born again because I am not murdering people. I am not, I don't have uncontrolled addictions. I don't go to wild parties. I'm not committing adultery. I don't look at pornography. And you're like, oh, you're just so holy, holy. But then you get right smack in the middle of this sin sandwich, if I can call it that, and it looks like a church. Not this one, of course. You can relax. Relax. <laughs> Breathe. Because look at this. Look at this, church. Let's break it up. Let's, you know, let's get away from the scandal of sins. Let's just go into verse 20. That's why I call it the sandwich. Because it's right in the middle of all these things that Paul calls self-life, or the flesh. He says, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, 
senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels. Sounds like some of our leadership meetings. No, just kidding. No, no, no. That was bad. That was bad. That was not right. Only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, and that doesn't mean, you know, your, your opinion it just means you think your opinion is over every other's opinion. So that, you know, that verse 20, those are things you see in every church in America. You see all, a lot of this in every Christian family. I'm going to say every, but a lot of Christian families. And you, you imagine what your home would be if everybody in that house understood verse 20. The kids understood it. Your husband understood it. Hopefully your wife will understand it because you know how they are. She lets me. I ask permission to pick on her. Resentment, anger, quarreling, all these things, you know, we deal with those. You know, if you're not careful, you, get, you watch the news and all these things start bubbling in your blood. We have to turn the, I told my wife, I said, I can't watch this. H and I had a funny conversation, you know. I said, I can't forget what you said, H. He's so smart, he comes up with the best ironic statements ever. So I'm saying, we're talking about the news, and we can't watch it on the phone or something. And I said, you know what I'm watching right now, H? I'm watching Ozzy Osbourne's trip thing. You know, he has a show where he goes on trips with his son. Tell me, oh, these people are too holy, John, I'm sorry. And what did you say, John? What did you say, H? That it, what does this come to that? <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. He said, what has the world come to when you watch Ozzy Osbourne for, for clean, fun, family entertainment? Because <laughs> the show's okay. I mean, he, you know, he, they bleep all his, you know, language out. But, but it's a clean show. You know, he, they go on, he's, on, he's with his son, and he goes all over America. And, he, and actually, I, I started watching it because he was in Cuba. And it caught my attention. You guys see the one in Cuba? And, you know, and sometimes it's, I'm like, I'm down to watching this because if I watch the news, I start getting angry. And if I start getting angry, then I'm right back into verse 20. So my point with that is you, you can be a pastor, you can be an apostle, you can be a prophet, or you can be a regular person in church. We are all, oh, I mean, we could all fall victims to that, right? It's something that is very real. So what have I been saying this whole morning? Being spiritual is not all that about being spiritual. Being spiritual is how do you process your everyday demeanor with people around you. Because what's happening in your spirit, unless it is transferred into, into being able to dominate these things, then guess what? I, you know, you're still a baby. Nothing wrong with being a baby, but you're, gonna, you're just staying with milk, 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 milk. And at some point, you, you need something else. And the maturity comes when the self-awareness comes. And I've looked at this because, you know, the angry quarrels, that's something I have to watch out for. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can we be real? I was a person that had no fuse when I came to Jesus. I'm talking like zero fuse. Some people say I have a short fuse. I had no fuse. Why are you pointing at John, Angie? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff going on in this leadership team. No, no fuse at all. Monica can tell you, I was psychotic, man. I mean, somebody would cut me off. I would chase them down, and I'd kick their doors in. Thank God I didn't have a gun. Mexico City, man, at one time, I, 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 they were so scared of me, they didn't even, I, I got in a fight with about six policemen in downtown Mexico City. 
And I was so enraged that not one of them wanted, wanted part of it. I was like 17. Don't look at me. I wasn't, you can say, I oh, was that last year. No, I wasn't last year. It was when I was 17. <laughs> my cousin was with me, my first cousin. He said, dude, you were insane. He said, and the cops were so scared of me, they didn't want to, they didn't want to part. I was just so mad. I was cussing them with everything I knew and making up words. And I said, come on, eh! just going off. And he's like, dude, you're going to get killed. The cops were like, You go first, right? <laughs> no, it was uncontrollable anger. Well, guess what? Just because you're a pastor, if you're not careful, that thing still sits in you. Come on, church. Jealousy? How come they got the new car and I didn't? How come they got the new house and I didn't? You know, little things like that, that you need to do that self-awareness. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. That's flesh thinking now. That's flesh thinking now. Let, 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 let's finish on a good note. Give me the next one, Archie. We're, we're going to have to stop here, and we'll pick it up here next week, because I'm going to break every one of those down for you next week from the Greek definitions. They're really, really powerful. So Paul continues to go. Galatians 22 is the same reading. I just format it a little bit different to bring my point in. He said, but the fruit, remember that I told you this is about the fruit? The fruit produced by the Spirit, produced by the Holy Spirit within you, and he starts with the big one. He says, divine love, and again, this is passage translation, and it really brings it home because the top part of the fruit, remember this, it's not fruits. Remember that. Some people say the fruits of the Spirit. No, no, no. It's one fruit. So if you can imagine an orange, if you can imagine a tangerine, that it's, it's just one fruit, but it's got all these slices, right? And all these slices are areas of development. And here's the problem with Christians. I'll talk, I'm talking about myself right now because... Trust me, you think, you know, you're getting a message, God already preached this to me all week. And we already had to resolve some things because the one thing I don't want to get up here is, you know, I'm the first guy here that wants to try to practice what he preaches. But, he, but the, what, what the key here was love. Let, let's park there just for, for a quick minute because love, God does not love, God is love. Remember that. His whole nature is agape. And I say, all these, I'm going to give them to you next week, so you've you got to come or at least watch it online. Because if not, it's not going to bring home. So basically what Paul is saying, so to me, if, if the fruit of the Spirit was a tangerine or an orange, love would be the orange peel. It keeps everything. It's not part of the slices. Are you still here? So you know, what am I supposed to develop? Where do I start, Pastor? Love. And don't love the ones that are lovable. Those are easy. Love the ones you can't stand. Love your critics. Love those that put you down. Did Jesus say that? Love those that bless those that curse. Remember all that? But love is the container. And unless you develop love as the number one point here, all the other ones, you're going to struggle with them. Because that orange will not create orange juice or orange slices or, or the tangerine, if I may, unless the shell protects it. Y'all still with me? This is the one that protects you. And this is so hard on Christians, but this is the one that God said, if you develop this one, you're going to make it. So I want you to leave with this this morning. You know, we're, not, we're not done done, but I'm going to try to land this thing. The shell, the thing that puts it all together, is the love of God. And unless we really meditate on it, because again... The love of God, Jesus said it. 
Paul said it in different, in different forms. Even Peter mentioned it in a different form. But he said, unless you develop this, everything else you do as a Christian is really pointless. All your Christian acts, all your little Christian-y deed things that you do so people think you're all really Christian-y, according to Jesus, says they're, they're dirty rags. In other words, yes, there's, there's work after faith, but we are not, we're not trying to make people think we're Christians. Are you here? I'm not trying to make you think I'm a Christian because the only thing you can judge me, and you can, is my fruit. And it's not a judgment like I'm judging that, but you can say, oh, Pastor Box, he says he's an apple tree. Yeah, he's got apples. Because I can say I'm all kinds of things, but until you can actually see the fruit. So once once I've determined that the number one thing i got to understand is the love of God. That's the number one. How he loves me, like that song that we sing. How much love does it take to take a cross for somebody? Once I settle that, number one, first commandment, only commandment that Jesus says, love God. Love one another. Here comes a big one. Love yourself. Isn't that cool? And we'll get to that in the next few weeks. Sometimes that's one of the worst ones. We don't love ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We should treat ourselves like we would treat one of our own kids. We want the best for ourselves. <laughs> Amen. Way ahead of myself. And then he breaks them down into these points, which we will develop next week. But I'm going to give you enough to work on this week. Because the only thing I want you to pull out of this list, because this is me. I'm being honest with you guys. I look at this, and there's... There's things that I, got, that, that I think I've developed quite well. Of course, I'm not finished developing any of them. But for example, patience. I never thought I was patient. I wasn't patient. But, you know, and the word patience, and I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a couple there, but I'll, I'll come up to them. I found out, and you'll find out next week, that patience is not just about patiently waiting for something to happen. It also means being patient with others. Because not everybody's where you're at. Being patient with others. Being patient as God is patient with them. So it has, it's a twofold word. But you know, I think I got that one sort of. You know, I'm not perfect. But you know, joy that overflows, nah, that's not me yet. But I got to work on it. I mean, I, usually I do have a certain kind of joy that most people don't understand, but that's okay. But joy is, is, is a sense of knowing that it's going to be all right. I read something that blessed me. It was, on, it was on a biker thing, which was kind of weird. But um, it says, stop complaining. It really, it really slapped me in the face, I'll be honest with you. Stop comp- it went something of this idea. Stop complaining about how old you're getting. Because there's a lot of people that didn't get that privilege. Boom. Drop the mic, right? Because like, oh, I feel old, I'm getting, there's a lot of people. I'm thinking of one of my brothers that died. I call him a brother. He was a really, really, really close friend of mine, my age, died about a month ago. It is a privilege. You see how just perspective? One little thing. So if you've been complaining about how old you're getting, you should be thanking God for the privilege that a lot of people didn't get to. Isn't that amazing? So joy is kind of some of that. Peace that subdues, again, all these will break them down next week because every Greek word is so powerful. I've I've studied all of them. Patience that endures kindness in action, 
a life full of virtue. And a life full of virtue really means a life full of goodness. Just doing good things for people. Being a blessing, not looking on your own. Amen? Gentleness of heart, strength of spirit. And then he says, never set the law above these qualities. And he's referring to religious law. He's referring to Levitical law. He says, because they are meant to be limitless. And he's referring to the limitless law of love. And I want to leave you with this thought. Go ahead and give me the last one. Or I think there's a couple more. But The fruit that the Spirit produced is wonderful, good, godly fruit overflowing with blessings in life. A spiritual fruit-yielding believer attracts others to God. And here we go. You are the only representative of Jesus that, that the people that don't know Christ will ever see. You know, when you want to go off on that waiter that messed up your order, when you want to go off on that cashier in Walmart that doesn't know what she's doing, or he doesn't know what he's doing, you got to think about it. you got to think about it. Because just an act of grace might open the door for a little tiny conversation. And that person will be attracted to your Jesus. Because they see you. They don't see Jesus. They see you. If you don't think this is a vital teaching for the body of Christ, because if our mission is for people to see Christ, we have to develop the fruit. Right? That's the mission, right? Go ye. That's it. Go ye and preach the gospel to all. But, you know, as Dwight L. Moody said, you know, a thousand testimonies speak, you know, a thousand, no, one testimony speaks louder than a thousand sermons. One act of kindness will speak louder than a whole Bible study. Bible studies are good, but the people out there don't care about Bible studies. Are you still here? Focus on the areas, and this is what I want you to start working on this week, that you are weak in. I'm weak in some of those. If I'm not careful, I got to control my temper. I got to control anger issues. I got to control critical spirits. I, gotta, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know. And, and please, you know, we're all in this together, church. We are all in this together. We're all on the same journey of trying to be like Him. So don't judge each other. Don't judge each other. Don't judge among yourselves and don't judge your pastors. Don't judge the leaders because we're all on this journey. We're, we're all imperfect. But we are pointed to perfect. And I think the more that we become, what was the first word I taught you? Self-aware of the areas of our life that we need help in. Guess what? The Holy Spirit will immediately move in and you won't even have to do it on your own. That's the beauty of this. You say, Pastor, how can I control my temper? You can't. But the Holy Ghost can. Huh? How can I control these feelings of jealousy? You can't. But the Holy Ghost can. You don't have to do this on your own. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word this morning. Oh, heavenly, Holy Spirit, wonderful Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. If you're watching me online, maybe somebody invited you, maybe somebody sent you the link, and you're sitting right there wondering about your spiritual life, the first and main thing you need to do is bring him into your life. Pray this prayer with me. Everyone in the church prayed along with us. Just in case somebody has never done this. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take me just as I am. And I thank you, Lord, that you died for me, that you paid the price for my sin, that I don't have to walk alone anymore. I declare today that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.
Now, this is my prayer for you. Well, our prayer for all of us. But if you're dealing with any of these things that I brought up this morning, maybe it rattled a bone in there, the envy, the strife, the anger, maybe some of the serious sins, maybe you're addicted to pornography or other kinds of addictions. No one in this church is here to judge. But I want to pray for you right there where you are. This is not to show anybody. This is not to make a spectacle. This is just right there where you are. If there was something that this message made you self-aware of, just put it right there, right in the front. Because I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit immediately begins to help you with that. So, Father, we just come right now. I've opened my life to them. And I know where I need help, Lord. You know where I need help, Lord. And we've talked about it quite extensively this week. And I'm asking you for grace. Holy Spirit, we are a teachable people. And we want to be Christ-centered not self-centered. And Father, right now, for those that have been faced with a reality about their life, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you indwell in them right now, that their desire to get it right, their desire to move forward is all you need. And you will help them through this journey. And you will help them grow. And even where they miss it, here and there, you will always be there, Holy Spirit, to pick us up. And I just thank you that through this, God, we are becoming more like you. Through this, God, we can be a reflection of who you are, Jesus. And hopefully, God, people will be attracted not to us, not to Faithway, but to you. When we go into our daily lives and we walk certain ways, that people will recognize that we're different, that people will recognize we are not of this world. We're not better than them. Father, like this home, homeless man, I still remember his name, William. I bless that man. That's who we are. We want to be a reflection of Christ. And I thank you for faith. I thank you that if there's a church that has blessed so many people, it's been this church. I give you glory and praise for every one of them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let that, don't clap or nothing. Just let that presence, because that's the Holy Spirit. If you meant it, you know, even in your own prayer, if you just received the prayer that I said, the Holy Spirit is, is, is indwelling in you, but now you've given him permission to help you. And he will help you, not in a controlling, but he will, the Bible says, King James says convicts, but the real translation, I mean, he convinces you. In other words, when you're walking down the wrong path, the Holy Spirit says there's...